I would say that sometimes that can be your greatest strength. If you don't feel like you are the expert in a certain topic or on a certain problem, then that can be a huge strength for you because you are naturally more inquisitive, more curious to explore. You're going to ask different questions to someone that believes they're already an expert. Welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. My guest on the show today is Carly Morris. Carly is the head of something called Geovation, which is an accelerator for geospatial startups. So let's face it, most of us are not going to apply to be part of a geospatial startup accelerator like Geovation, but you might be like me. You might have an idea in your mind. You might be wondering if you could make it. You might be wondering, could this be a business? And if that's the case, I think that you'll find this conversation really interesting. Hi, Carly. Welcome to the podcast. So today we're going to talk about something called Geovation. We're going to talk about innovation in, in the geospatial startup world, and I'm sure a bunch of other really interesting topics. I think before we do that, would, would you mind just telling us who you are and, and how you got involved in the, in the geospatial startup world? Yeah, of course. So thank you, first of all, for having me on the podcast today. I'm very excited to, to be speaking with you. I've heard a few of your podcasts before, so um, hopefully this one will be just as good as uh, your previous ones. So yeah, I'm Carly Morris. I head up Geovation at Ordnance Survey, which is a community of where over 1,800 startups, corporate innovators, investors, developers, you name it, anyone that has an interest and has an understanding of how powerful geospatial data can be for making positive impact. And I've been with the business for about a year. So I got into, into this role really through my experience of working with startups and working in innovation departments in different industries. I love working with startups and I really love matching startups to that corporate world as well and seeing that magic happen where you get, you know, a big corporate working with a, with a small startup. And I think that's a wonderful thing. So that's really what attracted me to Geovation. And I'm learning a lot about maps and the geo language in the process. So tell me a bit about that. It doesn't sound like you have a real sort of deep understanding or background in, in geospatial. Has that been a problem for you? Good question. Uh, I'm pleased to say, not yet. I must admit, I was a little bit apprehensive that coming onto the Mapscaping podcast, you would be asking me lots of questions about maps. So um, I have uh, <laughs> have been a little bit worried about that before. But actually, no, it, it hasn't been a problem at all. I think whatever industry background you've worked in, you have got, even if you don't realize it, some experience of working with geospatial data and seeing how geospatial data can interact with different technologies. And that's certainly true for me. You know, in my previous role, I was heading up an innovation team at an airline in the logistics world. So it was an international airlines group, Cargo. And we were working on projects where we were actually using geospatial data to match it with other technologies to, to power some of the innovation projects that we were working on. So without realizing it, I, I was already involved in geospatial. I'm definitely a lot more involved than I ever have been now, but I'm learning a lot along the way, which I love to do. So it's, it's all positive. Wonderful. I'm, I'm really pleased to hear that. I'm not sure if you mentioned the accelerator program that Geovation runs, but would you, would you mind talking about that briefly just before we dive into what you're looking for in a geospatial startup? Yeah, absolutely. So we run accelerator programs and we also run innovation challenges focused on specific societal or environmental topics. We've been running the accelerator program now for a number of years and it's a really great program. So it's a it's a 12 month program with six months of 
sort of hands-on supports and six months of hands-off. We look for what we call geotech or prop tech startups, which is any startups that are using geodata or property data in their products. And it can be any type of data as well. We're not specific about the type. And we're looking for really great ideas and innovative ways of using that data to solve real problems. So any startup that joins our program, they get a fantastic array really of benefits, um, including 12 months residency at our London hub, some funding, equity-free funding, I should say, to get them going. And obviously a program of activities, which includes workshops, mentoring, coaching, and obviously the benefit of being part of this huge community and speaking with others who have been there, done that, got the t-shirt and can share their, their learnings from that as well. Yeah, it sounds like you have a ton of resources there for people wanting to sort of get going with their own geospatial startup. I guess my first question here is, is what are you looking for in a geospatial startup? What, what does a startup need to have? Like, obviously, they need a little bit of geo in there somewhere. I, I, I totally get that. But apart from that, what are you looking for? What does a startup need to have when they come to you? So we're looking for a variety of different things. But I would say the absolute number one thing that we're looking for when we're reviewing all of the applications that we get is that the startup has found a real problem to solve. And that problem is a real problem that really needs solving. And that they've done some validation to figure out, you know, that that is definitely the case. So we're looking for startups that have really fallen in love with the problem that they're trying to solve and have obsessed over it to the point where they feel like they've really got a solid grasp of the problem they're, they're solving and have come up with what they think could be a great solution for that as well. We're also looking for a really strong founder and founding team. Normally, we take quite early stage businesses, so they don't need to be a, a fully developed team, but the founder's attitude and the founder's willingness to learn is, is super important. And I think the final thing is that we think about is, uh, can we help them? You know, this is a two-way process. We've got to be the right accelerator for the startup, and they've got to be the right startup for us as well. So we're looking for startups that have you know, real challenges that we feel we can help them to solve. So I just want to highlight one point that you said there. You, you said you're looking for people that are solving real problems. Give me an example of a real problem, because I think like when Instagram first showed up, and, and I guess if they were out pitching the idea, hey, we think people have a real problem that they can't you know, share photos with each other. Do you know what I mean? Is this actually a real world problem? It's hard to define what, what a real problem is. So I'm curious to hear your ideas around what, what a real problem looks like. And, and I guess combined with, is there a business case there? Yeah, absolutely. So I think what we're looking for, particularly with these early stage startups that generally apply to our programs, is the fact that they've done some validation to show that that problem really exists. So we can all identify what we think might be a problem for someone. Maybe we've experienced it ourselves, but without going out there and running tests to you know, really validate, is this a problem just for me or is it for the wider marketplace? How big is this problem? How painful is this problem? These aren't things that we can make assumptions about. We do need to go out there and run mini experiments or get experience talking to people that we think have this problem to actually validate that it is the case. So you talked about running mini experiments, that kind of thing. But I guess it would be really easy to come to Geovation and say, hey, I found this real problem. Yes, I've done some experiments. Yes, I've done some tests. And look here, our growth is predicted to be up and to the right. How would you do due diligence around a founder like me? Yeah, so we'll ask you to prove it. You know, we'll ask you to show, show us the evidence. What have you done? What have you found out? Where's the data to show us that you actually have gone out there and 
spoken to 100 potential customers and shown that you know 80% of them are willing to buy your product or willing to give you their credit card details to say that, yes, definitely, I want this. Uh, we, we don't actually <laughs> encourage that, but you get the point. You know, we're, we're trying to encourage the entrepreneurs that we're working with to, to gather that evidence and to, to show that to us. So we do really challenge a lot of the entrepreneurs that we work with to do that for us. So in a previous conversation, you talked about this uh, value proposition canvas. W- would you mind walking me through what that is and, and what you're hoping to, to help the, the potential founders discover? Yeah, it's actually a, a super useful tool. So if, if you are a, an entrepreneur or anyone actually working in business and you're looking at developing a new proposition, I would definitely encourage you to have a look online. Just Google a value proposition canvas to have a look at what they what they look like. But it's essentially a canvas board that picks out different elements of validating a business proposal or an idea and encourages you to think about, you know, who is the customer that is buying this product? What is the problem you are trying to solve? What's the solution that you think it could be? All of these questions that you need to be asking yourself. It's just a beautiful format for doing that in. Do you expect people to have done that kind of work, that kind of been through that process before they come to you? It helps. It definitely helps if they've managed to already answer a lot of those questions that we're going to be asking them anyway. However, it might not be familiar to a lot of people. So it's actually part of our interview process for the Accelerator program is that we run a workshop to to go through that canvas with the startups. And even if they are a more seasoned pro at, at dealing with value proposition canvas, it does encourage them to think about questions that they might have missed earlier down the line. So yeah, it doesn't matter if they're not familiar with it because it's a tool that we can introduce and we can teach them how to use, but it's definitely beneficial if they've already thought about it. Could I use something like this value proposition canvas for any kind of business idea or is it just sort of you know focused towards getting in, involved in acceleration programs? No, you can absolutely use, absolutely use it for any kind of business idea. So I, I'd actually encourage corporates to adopt it as well. We we have used it several times within Ordnance Survey to look at propositions that we're looking at developing internally and, and making sure that we're answering the right questions as well. So it's applicable to not just startups, but businesses of any size. So early in the conversation, you talked about this idea that, you know, is the startup right for us and are we right for, for the startup? So let, let's assume that I had this great idea. I had been through the value proposition canvas. I'd done my, my due diligence and it still looked like a good idea. What, what kind of personality traits would you be looking for in a founder or, or perhaps a team that's going to sort of send those signals that, hey, that this could be a really good match for both of us? Yeah, so it's, um, it's really important that we see that enthusiasm and that love for what they're doing, that passion for what they're doing. I think that has to be there because as an entrepreneur, you're going to go through so many setbacks, so, so many challenges, so many highs as well. But to get through those lower points, you need to have that passion for, for what you're trying to achieve and for really solving the problem you're trying to solve. I think as well, we are looking for founders that have that willingness to learn, you know, willingness to listen to us, take on board everything that this program is going to give to them. Even if they feel like they're an expert in certain areas, we encourage our founders to, to still you know, take every opportunity that we can give because you might learn something new or you might learn something that you need years later, you know, even once you've left Geovation. And I think a willingness to take on board feedback as well is very important. Some founders struggle with being told that their baby is ugly. 
and uh, <laughs> and so understandably it's it's it can be a difficult conversation to have but it's really important particularly at that early stage to recognize when you're not quite nailing it you're not quite doing the right thing and you need to adapt and you need to change and if you're so obsessed with you know standing on the path that that you're on and believing that you have all the answers then you can obstruct yourself to receiving that feedback yeah i think you mentioned a great word there obsession i think you need to be obsessed right with the problem that you're trying to solve and with it with the path that you're on and yeah i could imagine it could be really difficult to to get this kind of feedback from time to time that hey actually you should be looking over there maybe this is wrong have you considered this because i think in in some ways you really need that obsession you need to be bullish about what you're doing and, and, and where you're going to make it work at the same time you need to recognize that sometimes we need to pivot how do you tell people that how, how do you make them understand that you know how do you balance giving feedback and then accepting the pushback that comes which inevitably will come the other way in terms of like you should be on this path think about this pivot I mean, at the end of the day, it's their businesses. You know, we, we can only advise, we can only provide guidance. So the entrepreneurs that work with us and the founders that work with us, they are the, the owners of their businesses. So they need to decide for themselves what is right for them, for their companies. But one of the ways I think we get around probably dealing with those occasions where a company has to pivot or has to do something completely different is we encourage them to figure it out for themselves by encouraging the founders to to run those tests you know provide that evidence back to us that what you're saying is is true is correct and quite often we find that along the way they are running tests they're running those experiments and they realize oh actually maybe I do need to change something I do need to shift something here but it's it's their business so you know you're right that sometimes that kind of uh, obsession as to what they're trying to achieve is important and not everyone is is right. So, you know, you have to pick and choose who you listen to. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I want to talk a little bit about diversity. Do you see much diversity in the founders coming through? And I, I'm not just talking about in, in terms of, you know, male, female, other sexual orientations or races, but in, in diversity in, in general, the kinds of projects they're working on, the kinds of people that are working on those projects, that the kinds of target audiences that these founders have, or, or is it very sort of streamlined? So in terms of the diversity of sort of industries or subject areas that the founders are working on, I would say there's huge diversity. And actually one of the, the biggest things that has struck me since joining Geovation is a learning about the breadth of applications for geospatial data. I completely did not appreciate just how many applications geospatial data has until I was in this world. So yes, we see businesses that are working on everything from helping disabled people to access restaurants and bars more easily to helping electric vehicle owners to charge their vehicles more efficiently. So th there's such a breadth of subjects that geospatial data reaches, which is one of the great things about Geovation, to be honest, because we get that really privileged position of seeing all of these different applications of geospatial data. On the other side of diversity, in terms of ethnic or gender diversity, I think this is an area that we all need to work a lot harder on in the startup world, in the accelerator world. We all need to make an effort in improving our diversity. And I don't have the answer as to how to do that. You know, I think we, we are putting a lot more effort into making sure that we are supporting founders from diverse backgrounds. But I think it's a common problem across the startup world. Uh, you only have to look at the amount of investment that 
female founders receive as opposed to, to male founders to, to see that there is disparity that exists there. So I'd encourage anyone that wants to talk about that uh, to, to come and talk to me because I think it's such an important subject that we address all together. Yeah, I, I really appreciate you being open and honest about that and in, inviting the, the community in. That's, I, I think that's fantastic. So another kind of diversity that we might be able to talk about here is, is technical diversity. So I, I think a lot of people, myself included, almost have a sort of ingrown belief that founders need to be incredibly technical people. They need to be down in the machine room, building the thing, making the product, directly responsible for, for the service that they're creating. Is, is that the case? Is, is that what you see coming through Geovation? Not at all. We get a real mixture of founders that come from technical backgrounds and also founders that, that come from non-technical backgrounds. We're very privileged in that we do have an in-house technical team who can help founders to explore and develop the technical sides of their business, but also the geospatial data element to their businesses, which is uh, or does add a bit of extra complexity to a lot of the businesses that they're trying to create. So I wouldn't say that having a technical background or even a geospatial background is an essential component of running a successful geospatial business. I think actually it can be more beneficial to have the kind of background where you are very used to understanding the human problem that sits behind the technology. You know, if you, if you can't get that right, if you can't get that user experience and that problem solving element right, it doesn't matter what you build. So I think having that skill set is actually more important than the technical skill set in some respects. In terms of the founding teams that you see coming through, is there a, that, that sort of classic mix of the, the extremely technical founder and perhaps the more uh, sort of marketing focused founder? Is, is that the mix that you see or do you see you know, everything under the sun? To be honest, it is more everything under the sun. You know, we get, we get people that come from a real variety of backgrounds. It is a mix between that non-technical and technical co-founder or founder background. And generally, as the teams grow, which they do normally as they go through the Geovation program and as they bring more people into their teams, they fill in those skill sets that they're missing. So we can help them to hire technical resource if they don't have it in their team already, or marketing resource if they don't have that, or sales resource, no matter what it is. As the team grows, they, they figure out you know, where the skills gaps are and what they need to fill in. So we've talked a little bit about Geovation now, the, the accelerator program, what you're looking for, this idea of the value proposition canvas, like fit, trying to figure out if we've got a really good business case here. Do, does it make sense? You've done an amazing job of sort of giving us an overview of the founders that are coming through and the, the diversity that you see. I wonder if we could talk a little bit about the kinds of businesses these people are building. Are they mostly B2B businesses or do you see B2C businesses? Is there, is there any sort of trend that you see there? It's quite a mixture, actually. So we do have some really great B2C startups. So one that comes to mind that I've mentioned briefly is a company called Sociability. So they help disabled people to find accessible places by crowdsourcing information about accessibility of different venues, whether that's bars, restaurants, etc. So they're obviously an example of a more B2C focused business. On balance, we probably see slightly higher number of B2B startups. So thinking about the cohort that we've got joining us next week, we have mainly B2B focused startups. So an example is a company called um, SDX Space who look at ESG data and uh, validate sort of the, the reliability of that ESG data by using earth observation technology to look at, uh, they're, they're looking, focusing at mining as an industry because that obviously powers 
battery production. So that's more of a, a B2B focused example. It's quite a mix, to be honest, but that's, that's the nice thing about what we get to do. We get to see that mixture. Yeah, absolutely. I think this will be fascinating to, to be working with these people, to be working with these, with these startups. When you think about that, those two different business models there, the, the B2B and the B2C, why do you think there's more B2B businesses being formed than B2C businesses? It might be due to sort of experience of the founder. So in a lot of cases, we're seeing founders coming through that have started businesses based on some prior work experience that they might have had. So they might have worked at a company before that was really missing this gap in the market that they saw was really obvious. And so they thought, well, why not go off and, uh, and start it myself? So I think there's a little bit of that coming through and the expertise that they've gained through working in different industries as well. It's great that they can then apply that to the startups they're creating. Are there any business models or industries or you know, business sort of silos or things that you simply won't go into? You're like, no, that, that is because maybe it's because it's saturated, maybe because you have perhaps some sort of ethical problems with it, or you just don't believe in it. Is there anything out there where you're like, Geovation is for lots and lots, lots of people, but if you're wanting to do this, then it, it's not for you. Yeah. So we have a very strong ethos in making sure that we're supporting businesses that are driving positive impact. That impact might be environmental, that impact might be social, but it has to be a positive impact on the world around us. So that is really important to us. And that's at the core of what our team really believes in supporting. I would say other than that, we obviously have a responsibility as a location data focused organization to make sure that that data is being used ethically. So we have worked on a, on a program of research over the past couple of years called the Benchmark Initiative, which I would encourage you to, to check out. It's a, it's a really great piece of research that's been going on over two years to look at how location data should be used ethically. And there is a charter of principles that has come out off the back of that called the Locus Charter. And that is a set of guidance on how location data should be used ethically. So we are looking for startups that are using location data ethically in their businesses. And we would certainly you know, steer away from businesses that we thought weren't doing that. I completely understand why you'd want to do that. But I think that that positive impact is that ever a difficult thing to decide or is it pretty cut and dry when the, when the businesses come through in, in terms of, of what they're doing and I guess what they're trying to achieve? It's generally pretty easy to, to see. You know, most businesses out there are, are not trying to destroy the world. So um, that makes our job a bit, a bit easier, but um, it is still something that we have to consciously think about. You know, in the course of business for this startup, are they having a detrimental impact on anyone else? You know, are they genuinely driving positive impact in the right areas and the areas that we believe in? So we are very focused on supporting businesses that are contributing to positive environmental and social impact, particularly in light of the focus on sustainability that is there in everything that we do nowadays. Because there, there is that spotlight on sustainability, because there is a spotlight and a real concern about what's happening with, with our climate, do you see an increased focus on people wanting to build businesses around there? Because I, I'm thinking that this was the hope, right? That if we highlight these things, if we provide investment in these areas, then the, the hope is that people will show up and help us solve the problem. Is that what you see happening? There's definitely growth in that area. You can't deny it. So that is definitely driven by, I think, a general moral and ethical purpose that we all feel to be more sustainable and to, to do things with our lives and with our businesses that do enable the world to become more sustainable. 
it's also driven by regulatory impacts, you know, uh, investment structures and, and how investors are now looking at the opportunities that they invest in, according to ESG. So it's driven by lots of things, but um, it's certainly a trend that we're seeing more and more is more businesses focusing on that, which I think is a great thing. Yeah, I'm very encouraging of that. Uh, absolutely. Absolutely. I'd, I'd like to kind of round off the conversation here a little bit and sort of drag it back down to earth and focus on the, these people that are wanting to, to create geospatial businesses. And I, I'm wondering if you have any advice, if you could give one piece of advice to someone who's, I'm going to start a business, I'm into this, I'm passionate about solving a particular problem. What, what is the one piece of advice you could, you could give that person? I think the, the number one thing is to just start, just to do something that's going to get that ball rolling, start that momentum, even if it's having a conversation with a potential customer, sending an email to an expert that you think knows something about this space, just start. I think that is the hardest thing for a lot of people. There's a lot of people that have fantastic ideas all of the time, but you know, getting them started is the challenge. So that would be my one piece of advice. And then I think other than that, I've said this before, but make sure you fall in love with the problem that you're trying to solve. Really obsess over it, really you know, research it, investigate it, fall in love with the customers you're trying to solve it for. That is so important to make sure that you're on the right path. And then I think the final thing is don't be afraid to ask for help. Starting a business is incredibly overwhelming and you need the support of communities and others that have been through the process themselves to, to lean on, particularly if you're a sole founder, that can, be, that can be really, really tough. But there are communities out there. There are networks of entrepreneurs who are there to help. So don't ever be afraid to ask for help when you need it. What would you say to the person who has a great idea again and the thing that's holding them back is like, am I the one to do this? Am, am I the one to solve this problem? You know, what, what if they're suffering from imposter syndrome? You know, if you're trying something new for the very first time, it's, you probably are an imposter, right? Because you've never done it before. But I, I think it, when you're starting something brand new, you need to push through that. Is there any advice you could give to that person? I would say that sometimes that can be your greatest strength. If you don't feel like you are the expert in a certain topic or on a certain problem, then that can be a huge strength for you because you are naturally more inquisitive, more curious to explore. You're going to ask different questions to someone that believes they're already an expert. So I would actually look at situations like that and think, use that as your superpower you know, to, to get your business going, to really feel like you can understand it. And, and just don't be afraid to start, even if you don't feel like you are the subject expert. That's okay. There's others out there that will help you, that can work with you. You will bring your own strengths to the table. You don't have to bring all of them. Carly, it's been absolutely wonderful talking with you. Welcome to the geospatial world. We're, we're so glad that you showed up. Thank you. Is there anywhere the listeners can go if they want to reach out to you, if they want to learn more about Geovation? Is there anywhere you can point them? Absolutely. So uh, I'd encourage you to check out our website, www.geovation.uk. If you would like to give me a follow on LinkedIn and ping me a message if you have any questions, I'm happy to answer them. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time. I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you. You too. Thanks, Daniel. So I really hope you enjoyed that conversation with Carly Morris. I will put links in the show notes to where you can connect with her if you're interested. And if you are interested in connecting with her, I really hope that you'll take the time to do so. And if you're wondering what to say or how to start the conversation, perhaps you could use this podcast episode as an excuse. Hey, Carly, I heard you on the Mapscaping podcast and I just wanted to say hi. So 
Carly talked a lot about the the idea of trying to validate, get some validation, run small experiments, figure out if your idea is a good idea. Will people pay money for this? And th this is something I completely neglected when I first started mapscaping. And remember when I first started mapscaping, the idea was to sell maps online. I did the classic mistake. I built it and I expected people to come. What I should have done is set up the quickest website I possibly could make, the easiest website and tested the idea. So had something, anything that people could buy on that website or perhaps even just an email sign up form and spend $100, $200, $300 on something like Facebook traffic, Instagram traffic, Twitter traffic and just could I collect an email address? Could I sell this one product that I had and validate the idea? Could I get people to say, hey, yes, I, I like this. Here is some money for it. I could have saved so much time just by spending a couple of hundred dollars and running some traffic to a very simple website. So I'm the kind of person that has a lot of ideas and I'm constantly looking to validate them. And some of the things that I do when I think about making something new or creating a business around an idea that I have is I look for, is it working somewhere else? So I might go to places like Product Hunt. I might look at crowdfunding platforms like Indiegogo or Kickstarter. And if I was using those platforms, I'd be looking for who has had a similar idea. Is it working? Did people sign up to this? Did they pledge money for this? If you, if you go to Kickstarter as well, if you go there, you can see what's worked in the past. So you can go back in time and see the successful projects and ask yourself, well, what was successful about this project? Why did this one work and, and not these other ones? I also use a, a bunch of SEO tools, so tools that help me understand, well, what are people searching for? Where are the unanswered questions? Do people have any pain points around this particular topic? I've often heard people talking about uh, going to Amazon as well and reading the reviews about products. Like if you're trying to make something similar to, that already exists in the market, looking at the product and say, well, what is wrong with that one? What are people saying about it? How could I improve on what is already out there? So I have been through this process with a couple of different ideas. So map socks was the latest idea that we had. We had a bunch of socks manufactured in Romania and then shipped to us in Denmark and then we shipped them out across the world as people brought them. That was an interesting process. We have manufactured folding globes in a variety of different materials in Portugal. And earlier on, we manufactured a few prototypes of magnetic reflectors. And the idea was that, that people could easily put them on their clothes without ripping or damaging their clothes and take them off as well. And it's a, it's a super interesting process. It really is. But I've also discovered that it's not good enough just to have a great idea. The other side of the equation, at least in, in my experience, has been the distribution of the idea. Having a great idea is one thing. How do you get it in front of a lot of people? That, that's a completely different question. So when I walk around the supermarket, for example, <laughs> I look at products and I wonder if, is that the best product? Is that the best product? Is that why it made it onto the shelves? Or is it an average product, a mediocre product with the best distribution? So that, that was my experience with B2C, so business to consumer. And now that Mapscaping is moving away from selling maps, selling products online, to being a media company, it's transitioning from a B2C brand to a B2B brand, so a business-to-business -business brand, which is quite different. But there are a few similarities. There are highs and lows. There are days of self-doubt. There are days that we feel completely overwhelmed by the amount of new things that you need to learn in order to be successful. And, and there's always way more no's than there are yeses. But there are also those days where you stand in front of someone and say, here, I made this, and they buy it, and you can't believe it. The thing that you made, the thing that didn't exist before, that you put into the world, and somebody else says, yes, I see value in this. Yes, I want to be a part of this. Yes, I, I want one of those. 
Well, that, that feeling is addictive. Although being in business is hard, it's possibly the best game in town. And I, I really do think of it as a game. I've been doing this for, for a number of years now, and it's a game. I'm, I'm constantly learning. The, the rules feel like they're, they're always changing. And one of the hardest parts of this game, at least for me, is living with the uncertainty. The uncertainty of, will this work? I can always tell when the uncertainty shows up because I find myself looking for reassurance. And I do this by, by trying to find people that are on a similar path, playing a similar game as what I am. And, and I'm looking for success stories, people that I can relate to, where I can look at someone's journey and say, ah, it worked for them. Maybe it'll work for me too. And this is part of the reason why I'm sharing this with you. Not because my journey, my story, the game I'm playing has been an unbridled success from start to finish, because, because it hasn't. And not because I think that I can take away that uncertainty, that doubt that you might have, because I can't, no one can. But perhaps by sharing my story, I can give you the certainty that you are not alone. That if you're starting something new, then this is the way it feels. That it's part of the journey to be uncertain. I think the trick is to feel the uncertainty, but lean in and do it anyway. Thank you very much for listening to my story. Thank you very much for listening to my rant. That's it for another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. I'll be back again next week. I hope that you'll join me then. As always, you're more than welcome to reach out to me. You'll find links to my Twitter profile and my LinkedIn profile in the show notes of this podcast. And um, please do that. I would love to hear from you. Thanks very much. I'll see you again next week. Bye.